A few weeks ago, though, we were looking at the fact that Jesus calls us to sit with the sick. You remember we looked at the story of Jesus calling Matthew, and in that story, we were reminded that we need to take a look around us and notice that there are a lot of people that we walk around, that we're with every day, who may not yet have a relationship with Jesus, and that's what they desperately need. And so I encourage you to to take some time to to look around. Um, By the way, I I hope you've been doing this. I've noticed that as I've been looking around a little bit more, I've been noticing more people at Kroger than I used to. Uh, I've been seeing folks. In fact, Samantha was amazed. I got home quickly yesterday from a quick trip to Kroger. We live about a half mile from Kroger, but still somehow a uh, trip to Kroger takes about a half an hour. I don't understand it. I can be getting one item. But it's usually because she asked me to get like three things, and it feels like guys' grocery games because the third thing, there's only one of in the entire store, and it's not where you would ever think it would be. So I know, um, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, I've been seeing that there are more people around me as we go. I hope that you're seeing that as well. As we look at the fact that sin is a disease that's impacted every human heart, we've seen that Jesus came and brought the remedy for that disease by demonstrating God's glory on earth through his ministry, then through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now let's couple that with what we were looking at last year when we spent so much time looking at the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us for our study on the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember that what we were noticing as we went through that was God giving us an outline for how we as his followers, as those who were a part of his kingdom, his citizens, were supposed to behave. So we looked at long at, at that kind of long sermon that Jesus gave. We took some time to dig in really deeply and see how you and I are to honor our king and live as a part of his kingdom. You know what's hard about that sometimes, though? It's easy for us to take truths like that and kind of pull them out. And for some folks, it's a lot better to have actual stories. Like, how does this actually work out in practice? You know, you can talk about loving your neighbor. You can talk about being salt and light. But what does that actually look like? That's why we're going to the book of Acts for a while this year. Because we want to actually see not just what Jesus tells us about how we're supposed to live in the kingdom, but what it looks like for God's people to live on mission with him. Um, Now, some of you are old enough that you just went straight up Blues Brothers, and uh, you're on a mission from God, right? No, okay, we are on a mission from God, but it's not like the Belushis, okay? If you don't know what that means, you're blessed, Okay? All right, we good? As we're setting the stage for this this morning, though, what we're going to be seeing throughout the book of Acts is God's people going on mission with him. It's actually kind of fascinating. Um, We're going to be diving into into chapter 1 here in just a minute, but keep your finger in chapter 1. Flip over with me to Acts chapter 20. Now, this is one of those little coincidental things. I don't think that this is like a a sign from the Lord that this was exactly what we were supposed to do. But as I was going through and and writing my message, I was setting up my series and stuff like that. and, And we're just calling this series Acts 2021 right? Because it's 2021, so that just sort of makes sense. So I thought, I wonder what Acts 2021 says. So I I flipped over there last night, and I was looking at it, and Acts 20, verse 21, is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, and we'll get to that story later, but here's what he says. I testified both to Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. You know what's crazy? 
That verse actually is kind of a thematic verse that gives you an idea of how the book of Acts is going to unfold. It's about proclaiming repentance and faith, starting with the Jews and then moving to the Gentiles. So isn't that kind of cool how God worked that out? Like I said, I don't think that this was one of those like, you know, um, yeah, we'll get off on that. It, you know, sometimes people like open their Bible and they're just like, you know, eh, what's God's word for me to It wasn't one of those kind of things. It's kind of a neat coincidence how God pulled it all together. So going back to chapter 1, though, what we're going to be seeing is as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see God's church on mission with him. Now, what's neat about the book of Acts is sometimes it's going to focus on things that are happening internally within the church, how they handled conflict inside the church, how they handled some challenges that came up for the church itself. And often, though, the focus is going to turn outside of the church as well. How did the early believers follow Jesus where they were, living in in an environment where literally nobody else knew about Jesus? Remember that when we're starting this story out, we're looking at possibly 120 or so folks who are really serious about following Jesus. For the record, pre-COVID in 2019, our average attendance on a Sunday morning was about 120. It was actually 112 to be exact, right? So a group the size of this church is who God used to turn the world upside down with the message of the gospel. That's my hope. I have had the privilege of seeing God work in great ways in different environments in the past. I've had the privilege of being a part of really, really big churches with really, really big budgets. I was an intern at a church that had a $22 million annual budget, okay? Yeah, ludicrous amounts of money were spent at that church. I've seen God working in Kenya. I've been to Honduras to see God work. I've seen God working in Zimbabwe. I've seen God working in Thailand, reaching Chinese nationals while they're on vacation in Thailand. I've had an enormous privilege of seeing God work in incredible ways around the world. And I want to see him do more. And I don't want that for our name. I don't want that to somehow, like, we're going to get in some newspaper or have some ability to write a book about what God did here. I want God's kingdom to be expanded through the ministry of this church, through the life of this body in ways that we've never seen. So as we look at the book of Acts, I would encourage you, dream big. As we're looking through the world right now, the pandemic has thrown everything upside down. Nothing feels quite right. Everything is different. I don't know. Some of you guys may have started a drinking game for how many times I've mentioned the word pandemic in the sermon. But here's the thing. We've been waiting for life to go back to normal. We don't have to wear masks. We can stop having to fix the masking tape every Sunday, just sit wherever we want, all that kind of stuff. It's not going to be the same. There's a change in our world that's taking place that won't be the same ever again. We've got two options. We can dig in and try to make it like it was. Or we can look at what God's doing and get excited about the opportunity for what life's going to look like moving forward. In my own heart, it's very easy for me to keep doing what I've always done. I can't wait to see what God wants to do in the year to come through this church family in this brave new world in which we find ourselves.
I don't want to say new normal because everybody's tired of that. We've, uh, I actually wore my shirt on the inauguration day that Mike and Linda got me that said, I miss precedented times, right? Because we're tired of the word unprecedented. There's a reason why we remind ourselves that the same God who called Orion to, to the sky in Job's day is the same God who's working today, the same God who worked through the apostles, the same God who has a plan to work through the world. As we set the stage for that this morning, here's what we're going to see. If we're going to follow God's plan, we're going to have to do it in his power, and we're going to have to surrender to his schedule. Those are the three things that we're going to find as we look through this section this morning. Now, starting in Acts chapter 1, you'll notice that as we start here in verse 1, Luke is the author of this book, also the author of the Gospel of Luke, which was part one. That's why he says in uh, verse one, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he'd given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, this is Luke's prologue to the book of Acts. What he's saying is, this is part two. The Gospel of Luke was written, and largely the idea of, um, most scholars kind of debate, we don't know who this Theophilus guy was, okay? Theophilus is a Greek name, and so it's likely that either it was an individual who had commissioned Luke to write the Gospel of Acts and the Gospel, or excuse me, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. More likely, though, the word literally means lover of God. And so the idea is, the, the sense may be he's writing this generally to people who were God-fearing Greeks. Now, God-fearers, we'll talk about more when we get to Cornelius. You had the Jews, right? The Jews were God's special people. In the Old Testament, he set apart Abraham's family for himself, and they had these unique laws that God gave to them, this unique ceremonial system, and the Messiah who would be the one to save the world would come through them. You had these folks who were God-fearers. They were not by lineage Jews, but they submitted themselves to God's law as a part of that. And so what Luke is doing is he's writing to Gentiles throughout, uh, throughout Asia Minor probably, people who were close to understanding who Jesus was, who followed the Old Testament law, but did not yet know the stories of Christ. And so he's writing them to say, here's the Messiah that you've been hoping in. Now, regardless of who he was writing to, he's writing to us as well. This matters for us. So as we're looking, we're going to be seeing what Jesus said this morning as we set the stage for what it would look like for the apostles and for us to be able to follow God's plan in the year to come. And years, plural. Verse 4, while he was with them, talking about Jesus with the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. By the way, don't you hate that word, wait? None of us are good at that, especially in the days of Amazon Prime. Which, he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know that the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. By the way, if you're obsessed and concerned about the return of Christ, this would be a great verse for you to commit to memory. If it's something that's become a a place of fear for you, uh, this is a great thing to remember. It's God's timing. We'll talk about that towards the end. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. Isn't that just a great scene, by the way? Uh, Here, Jesus gives them these final instructions to be his witnesses all the way to the end of the world. And the next thing you know, he ascends up to heaven. And they're sitting there, just kind of looking. And then all of a sudden, without warning, these two guys show up, most likely angels, right? Two men dressed in white. That's typically what we see angels describe. Just like, boom, they're right there. Hey, guys, what are you looking at? (laughs) Right? I mean, isn't that how you would respond? Jesus just went straight up. This was in the day before jetpacks and stuff, right? Like, this was inconceivable. Jesus goes straight up into heaven. He's gone. We're watching for him. All of a sudden, a couple guys say, hey, what you looking at? Don't worry, he'll be back. The way you saw him go, it's the way he's coming. He's still coming back, by the way. In the meantime, though, before he does and until he does, God's working his plan. He's working it through his church by his power and on his timetable, okay? So let's look at those a little bit more specifically this morning as we go through it, okay? First thing that we see is that we've got to understand God's plan. Look back at verse 8, the plan that he's giving them to be a part of. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, which we'll be looking at next week, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the first thing that we need to look at is what Jesus is telling them to be a part of. He's saying that they will be his witnesses throughout the entire world. Now, some have mistaken this passage to say it's just applied to those 11 who were standing there with him at the time. But as we look at the rest of the teaching of the New Testament, you've got to put together and realize this is a commission for all of us. This is our job and our responsibility. If we follow Christ, we are to be his witnesses. Now, Unfortunately, we often overcomplicate this idea of being a witness, right? Some of you guys may have been in church long enough that you did like Tuesday night witnessing, right? You do evangelism training and and you learn how to be a witness and, and these kind of things. What does a witness do? Well, a witness tells what they've seen. A witness tells what they've experienced. If you witnessed a car accident out here, and there was a dispute about who was at fault, and you saw something, you would give your statement to the police. You might even be called on to testify in court. And all you would be doing is saying what you saw, what you experienced, what you witnessed, right? This is what you and I are called to do. If you follow Jesus, you're called to tell people about what you've seen, about what you've experienced, Okay, that's what, how John explained it when he started out the letter of 1 John. He said, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we've seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, he's saying, we saw it. Now, it would have been awesome to have been John, to have been there with Jesus and actually walked with him and watched him do these things. 
Remember, John was one of the few who was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, who actually got to see Jesus transfigured and have some of his glory restored. But John was also close enough to Jesus that as they were at the Lord's Supper and they were sitting kind of propped up at the table, John was able to lay his head on Jesus's chest. So John said, what I'm talking about, I've seen. I've touched Jesus. I know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm telling to you. Now, we don't have the privilege of walking on earth with the physical Jesus at this time. It would have been amazing to have that, but we are still his witnesses. Why? Because we still have seen and heard and lived our life with him. We know what the Bible says. We've seen how he has worked in our lives and the lives of other people. So we have seen him move. Guys, as I think back over, let's see, I'm trying to think. I got saved in 1992, October of 1992, right? There's a, a, several of you who are looking around saying, I was not even born in 1992, all right? I get it. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. But you know what? In those almost 30 years, I guess, wow, I am old. In those almost 30 years, I could tell you story after story after story after story where I've seen God transform lives. I could take you to Zimbabwe, and I could take you to Matthias' house, and I, I could let you meet Matthias, and I could take you to Mondega's house. I could show you the text that I've been sending with Trimore. Trimore is a man that came to know Christ in a, a village we were in. And I could show you how their life has changed since they've come to know Jesus. Can you, by the way, if you've been walking with Jesus, can you tell how your life is different? If not, by the way, you may not actually be saved. You may not have a relationship with him. If you can't give some kind of testimony to the fact that, that something about you is different because you follow Jesus, then you probably aren't following Jesus. I've used the illustration before. If you walked into service late and, and you, know, you looked fine and normal and you said, I'm sorry, I, I was late. I, I got hit by a, a semi-truck when I was coming down the bypass. But nothing about you looks wrong. I, I would probably have some concerns there because you're lying, right? I mean, if your airbag deploys, just that much is going to give you at least you know, a burn on your forehead or, or some kind of bruise on your shoulder from the seatbelt. Assuming that everything was fine, if you get hit by a truck, something's going to change. In the same way, if you've come into a relationship with the God of the universe who died in your place and rose from the dead, something about you has to change. So witnessing is telling people what's changed in your life. Not because it's like, look how awesome I am, but to give God the glory to say, man, I couldn't have done this. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. In fact, that's what I love about this. When you look at God's plan for the world, it's completely impossible. We'll talk more about that in just for a second, about how crazy it is. But God's calling you to be his witness where you are, to use your hobbies, to use your time, to use everything you have to be able to point people to Christ. That's God's plan. That hasn't changed. Now, you'll notice that his plan takes place in some different places there. Verse 8, where he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's actually a progression here. Most of you aren't good with American geography. Um, you want to think, test your geography skills, by the way. Our son got a state 
puzzle. Like it's all 50 states. He got a puzzle this Christmas that's got all the states on it. That will test your geography knowledge like nothing else. As you're like, I thought Iowa was over there, right? All those flyover states that none of us remember. Most of you probably aren't as familiar with your Middle Eastern geography then. So when we talk about Jerusalem, that's the city where they were. Jerusalem was home base. That's like Christiansburg or or maybe even broaden it out to Montgomery County for us. So he said, you'll be my witnesses where you live, around the people who are like you where you live. Then he said, you'd be my witnesses in all Judea. Now that got a little bit further out. Judea was kind of the region. Maybe you could think about it being either the New River Valley or possibly even the, the state of Virginia. Okay, the Commonwealth of Virginia, if we'll be proper, right? Throughout the whole state, that's, that's kind of our Judea. Then he talks about Samaria. Now, Samaria was a little bit further out geographically, but there's a big difference with Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. This is going not just to a place that's a little farther out. It's going to people who aren't like you. People you might dislike people who struggle with different sins than the ones that you do or at least struggle more visibly with them or are a different race or there's some kind of cultural barrier that would cause you to have some hesitation as you go. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, yes, in Montgomery County, yes, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, yes, even farther out to Samaria where people aren't like you. It doesn't stop there, even to the remotest parts of the earth to the very ends of the earth. You know, that last verse of that song we sang said that there's 8 billion hearts. We're not quite to 8 billion people yet, I don't think. We may have crossed that threshold. But every single human being on earth, as we talked about last week, created uniquely in the image of God and dying and going to hell apart from hearing about who Jesus is. God's plan is to use us as witnesses to the ends of the world. You know, it's something I've prayed for our church for a long time, is that God would call an individual or a family, somebody from this congregation, to uproot their life here and to move to another part of the world where Jesus is not as known to be able to take the gospel there. It's not like missionary activity has somehow put you more spiritual, but we want to be a church that equips folks, yes, to preach the gospel here, yes, to be witnesses in Virginia, yes, even the United States. We want to see God touch the world through what he's doing. Right now that we do that through giving, we do that through praying for folks like Ryan and Kelly Day who are serving with the International Mission Board in Japan. But wouldn't it be great if God would send out an army from here? People to take the gospel to the hard places. The easy places have been reached. Say, well, Sean, there's lost people here. And there are, which is why we talk about witnessing in Jerusalem. But guys... Spirit FM is not always perfect. I'll be honest. I don't, don't particularly care for some of the things that they say on Spirit FM and some of the music they play. But you know what? It's got like 16 different Spirit FMs that you can pick up here in Christiansburg. You could listen to that and you could find out who Jesus is. You can go to Walmart and buy Bibles. People here have access to the gospel. 
So although we need to be witnessing here, we need to be sharing the gospel, and that's what we do, realize that there are people outside of here who don't have access to God's word. One of the challenges when we go to Zimbabwe is it's almost impossible for us to get our hands on physical Bibles in their language because nobody prints them. It's been translated, but nobody prints them because there's not a big demand for them. We've had the privilege of going on mission trips. My, I have, and my wife and Sarah have gone on another trip to go to Thailand to be able to, to give Bibles to Chinese tourists who are on vacation so they can take them back with them because they can't just go to the Walmart and buy a Bible in China. Why? Because people in the ends of the earth need Jesus. And that's God's plan. It's bigger than us. Now, when we talk about reaching the ends of the world, guys, that's impossible for us. We had somebody that I, I shared the gospel with this last week, and I did a miserable job, okay? Just in case you ever wonder, like, you know, Pastor Sean, you know, he's been to seminary, and he's taken all the courses, and he's, he's got to be just like, I mean, almost like a well-trained salesman when he shares the gospel. If you had heard me try to share the gospel this week, you would have been appalled. You'd been like, that's our pastor? That's the best he can do? You know what? The only failure in witnessing is a failure to witness. And I could give the most well-tailored gospel presentation in the history of the world, but I can't change a single person's heart. If I can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. God's plan, though, is that we would be witnesses. Even as the hymn writer said, with this lisping, stammering tongue, that we'd give him glory. So how then does this going to happen if I can't do it on my own? How can this church, of, we have about 70 to 80 on a Sunday morning right now, how can this church reach the world? How can we a part of, be a part of what God's doing here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? Well, it's only through the second part, which is God's power. Did you see that in verse 8 again? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now, here's the thing. We're Southern Baptists, and Southern Baptists, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be like those people, right? We ain't one of them charismatics, um, charismatics for those who are, right? Here's what the problem is. We go too far the other way. We ignore the fact that God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The only way that you and I can do anything is because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. Now, something happened in Acts 2 that changes everything. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit separate from salvation. That happens when we are saved. We're given the Holy Spirit at the very moment of salvation. It's different than it was for them in Acts 2 because this is a transition period. However, the same power that came on them in Acts 2 is the power that's available to every believer from the moment they're saved. That does not mean that you and I will necessarily speak in tongues like they did or have the ability to raise the dead like they did, but it does mean that God can use us to change the world by His power and His grace alone through His Spirit living inside of us. Because here's the truth. Y'all aren't smart enough to do it. And neither am I. If you ever want to be really discouraged about the state of the church, hang out in seminary for a while. In our seminary, and maybe not every seminary is this way, it was full of the weirdest people you have ever met, myself included. 
There were days I looked around the room and thought, if this is the future of the church in North America, God, we're doomed, right? But the reality is that's not the future of the church because he is the future of the church. Through his power, through his spirit, he's doing things that nobody else could. See, that's what Paul says. Most of us are not really that sharp. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God's chosen what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what's insignificant and despised in the world, what's viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what's viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. So yes, this little tiny church in Christiansburg, Virginia, the one that anytime you meet anybody outside of Christiansburg and you got to try to explain where you're from and you have to say, we're near Virginia Tech. And they go, huh? And you say, we're off of Interstate 81, kind of south of Roanoke. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Roanoke before. Okay, that, that place, God can use believers out of his church here in Christiansburg to take his gospel to the world because it's not about us being smart. It's not about us being powerful. It's not about us being well-connected. It's about his power. Verse 5, he said that John baptized them with water, but in a few days they'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He told them to stay put and wait. It's a lot more fun to go and do, but they had to wait for him to do this. We've been looking at these passages in John chapter 14 through now into chapter 17 on Wednesday nights in our prayer meeting. But throughout that, Jesus explains to the disciples what the Holy Spirit does and how he works in our life. And he's not just a a force. Like some of us have this idea, I think, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that it's like the midichlorian count in the Jedis, right? Like, you know, if you've got more midichlorians, you've got more Jedi powers, and so you can like force choke people or you can use your lightsaber. That's not the Holy Spirit. He is a he, not an it. He is in you. Here's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He said, I'll ask the Father, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 26, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. His job is to point us to Christ and to equip us to live the life that God's called us to live, which includes being his witness, no matter how lisping, stammering our tongue may be. It's only through his power, only through his strength. Do you realize how many thousands of people there are around us who are dying and don't know Jesus? I mean, guys, I feel like we get so familiar with that truth or like so many of us, our world is so full with other believers that we forget that there are thousands of people around us right now who if Jesus were to return or if they were to die, they would die and go to hell. That's not a popular truth. But as we let the weight of that sit, This is so much bigger than us. We cannot, under any circumstances, reach this area for Christ on our own. The people we're talking to are spiritually dead, according to God's word. No amount of persuasion can make a dead person alive. 
Something has to happen to give them life again. And that's something only God can do through his spirit. So as you sit there and you fumble through trying to share what God's done in your heart and your life, remember, it's not about your words. It's what God's doing. It's God's ability to save. It's not on you. You're just called to be a witness. Here's this great verse that we've talked about often around here just to remind you. Ephesians 3, Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is that power? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not our strength. It's not our fervor. It's not our devotion. It's not how loud I yell or how bad my voice sounds at the end of the message. It's the power of God. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Guys, I hope that you understand church is not just something we do. Church is not just something that that happens from Sunday morning, from 9.45 for Sunday school and 11 o'clock for worship. Church is who we are as we gather together as God's people. And this is God's plan to save the world through the church. This is his church, not ours. And this is plan A and there is no plan B. See, Remember what Jesus said about the church in Matthew 16? He said, I also say to you that you're Peter. He was talking to Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Guys, here's the thing. When you look at that verse, we could talk more about some of the details. But I just want you to focus on that last statement. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand the onslaught of the church. Now, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Christianity is on decline in America. There are fewer people today who would call themselves a Jesus-following Christian than there were 10 years ago. I'm afraid that that puts sometimes on the defensive. We're losing ground, if you will. Guys, that's never been God's design. God's design for the church has never been that they're on the defensive. Rather, God's design for the church is for us to go on the offense, right? Gates are a defensive thing. You don't take your gates with you to battle. So it's not that the gates of hell are barraging the church. It's that the church is bombarding the gates of hell, right? Now listen, guys. Don't let us get comfortable just having our women's ministry meetings or our men's ministry breakfast or doing these things and just going through the motion and trying to act like good little Christians when there's a world out there who's dying and going to hell who has, God has equipped us with the power of his Holy Spirit with the message of the gospel to go and assault that, to push back against the darkness. He took 120 people in an upper room and 3,000 got saved the first day they started preaching. They took the gospel to the ends of the world and the world has literally never been the same because of what God did through these 120 people. So why do we settle for just going through the motions? Why do we settle for the same thing day in and day out? Why do we settle for church just being this 11 o'clock thing that we check off of our box and not being our lifeblood through where we join together and together we go out and assault the gates of hell for a king who's loved us so much that he died in our place. That's God's plan. And it's only accomplishable through his power 
I don't even think that's a word. <laughs> but the only way we can accomplish it is through the power of God. Now, here's the thing about God's plan. The third aspect of this is that we're going to have to wait on God's timing. These things happen in God's schedule. Look at verse 6 again. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Remember, they thought that when the Messiah came, what he was going to do was set up his earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem and restore the kingdom to Israel, and Israel was going to rule over the rest of the world under the Messiah as their king forever. They did not realize that there would be a gap between the first time the Messiah came and the second time when he comes back to fully establish his rule and his reign. So what did Jesus say? Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Guys, that's above our pay grade. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. So for those of us who are thinking it could be imminent, Absolutely. Jesus could come before I finish this message, and I would love that more than anything in the world. I would love for us to be out of here, for his kingdom to come, for his righteousness to be done on earth, and for this all to be just a a distant memory. However, God could hold off another thousand, ten thousand years. That's not for us to obsess about. For us, our job is, is to do our job today. Our job is to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even the remotest part of the earth. Now, that involves waiting on his timing. It's interesting because Jesus gave them just enough instruction, didn't he? He said, guys, wait until Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit comes, and after he comes, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Well, how long are we supposed to stay in Jerusalem? Didn't answer the question. Well, what's it going to look like for us when we go out to Judea? How do we plant a church in Samaria? Who should we send to the ends of the earth? Jesus didn't answer any of that. Jesus simply said, I'm going to come back when I come back. Not for you to worry about. Wait here until you get the next step. That's God's pattern throughout all of Scripture, by the way. God doesn't usually lay things out. If he did, your head would explode. Like if when God saved me at nine, he told me that at 30, almost eight, I would be pastoring in my hometown, I would never have believed it. Couldn't have handled it. So God gives us a piece at a time and a piece at a time and a piece at a time. Now, as we've said, we're in a world where we're planning in pencil. We have no idea when the pandemic restrictions will be lifted. We have no idea when we can have things like vacation Bible school and big, you know, kind of big events or whatever again. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when we're going to be able to, to travel overseas to take the gospel again like we used to. We don't know. But what we do know today is that there are people around us who don't yet know Jesus, and they need to know him. We know that somebody in Christiansburg today is going to die. And it may be somebody we know. And we may have one last opportunity today to share the gospel with them. And we've got to surrender to God's schedule. We may not understand it. We may not know what God's doing. We may not know why he's working the way he is. But you know, one thing we do know is that he is coming back. 100% with certainty, I will tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, Jesus 
will return to the earth. We don't know when. You ever wonder why God hasn't come back yet? I mean, you look around you and things seem to be going from bad to worse morally in a lot of different ways and the dissension gets worse, the anger gets worse. Why hasn't he come back? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise. By the way, this is saying he's not having to put pause on anything. God knows when he's coming back. It hasn't changed. He doesn't delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? One reason is because there's somebody here who still needs to follow Christ. We know that not everybody's going to be saved. And we know there's going to come a time when the door's shut, when, when it's over. But until that day, that's God's decision, not ours. Until that day, may God find Christiansburg Baptist Church actively sharing the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth in Montgomery County, in the New River Valley, in the state of Virginia, in the United States, and everywhere that God allows us to have influence. For his name and his glory, because that's God's plan. That's what we're going to see as we keep looking through the book of Acts. We're going to see the church on fire, taking the gospel to the ends of the world. Jesus got the kindling ready when he told them that they had a part to play in God's plan of redemption. He told them that they could only do it as God allowed Uh, as they allowed God to equip them with power through his spirit and that they were to obey until that time when they saw him again, whenever that was going to be. So my question is, are you willing to do that as an individual? Are you willing to go to work this week and attack that work with an understanding that you're fulfilling God's plan through the job, through the occupation, through the place that he's put you? Are you willing to look at what God's calling us to do as a church and be involved in in his plan, through his power, through his timing, even if it's something we've never done before, even if it looks different, even if it calls us out of our comfort zone. Now, by the way, when I say that, I literally, genuinely, in all transparency and honesty, have no idea what that means, okay? Like, if you're sitting there saying, oh, he's got something in the works, and he's just been holding this back, and he's trying to get us ready for it, and mm, I have no idea. God hasn't gotten to the point where he's helped me to see what this next step would look like for us as a church, which is a really exciting thing. How many of you guys have seen the movie Up? Okay, if you go in my office, you'll see there's a a little painting of Up that my wife did of the house flying up, you know, with the balloons on the top. What's the key phrase that the explorer uses in the movie Up? Adventure is out there. Now, that's become a tongue-in-cheek thing in our family because we say that any time, like, a part falls off the car, you know, or something like that. Hey, adventure's out there, right? My wife is really tired of adventuring with me for the last almost 15 years. We've had lots of adventures. But guys, listen, listen. The God who was creative enough to make marine iguanas by speaking them into existence over a six-day period of time Can you imagine the adventures that he has in place for those who love him? To see him in the ends of the earth. Guys, as I I say these things, I, I I have pictures in my head of people I've had the privilege of seeing come to Christ or people I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with, people that God through his kingdom has been working in. And I want to see more. 
And I hope you do too. If you're content with church the way that it is, I would ask you to to pray and have God wake your heart up. Now, guys, listen to me. We have an awesome church family. I love being a part of this church. I really do. And I say that in all sincerity. I want more people to know the God that we know. I want more people to be able to experience the fellowship that we do so that God will be honored as he should. Does that make sense? You see the difference? You can do one without having... Okay. So today, the best thing I can think of for us to do is to pray. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. This has not been an overly evangelistic message as far as sharing the gospel directly with you, but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope you've heard that Jesus loved you so much that he would die in your place and be raised from the dead so that you could have a relationship with God. Not so that you could have all your problems fixed or so that life would go smoothly, but so you could be drawn into the relationship that exists between the Father and Son, like John talked about in John, 1 John 1 there. Now, if you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ, I would encourage you to turn from doing what you think is best to turn to following him. The Bible calls us doing our thing sin, and we turn from sin to turn to following God. So where you are, just sit there and bow your head, close your eyes, and just say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you to heal me. I need you to restore me. I need to walk with you, and I need a relationship with you. I know that you said that Jesus died for me, and so I trust in his death. I trust in his resurrection, and I want to follow you. But I imagine most of those who are in this room or listening online, a lot of you guys already know Jesus. So let me challenge you in about three different ways. One, is there anything in your life that would keep you from being able to point people to Jesus in the way you're living? Is there a a sinful pattern in the way that you're living that would discredit you from being able to share about who Jesus is? If so, then confess that right now where you are to God. Repent of that and ask God to give you the strength to walk in freedom there. Number two, what does God want you to do individually in sharing the gospel with those around you? How does God want you to be a witness? Now you say, Sean, I, may have, I have no idea how to do that. There's a number on the screen that's the church phone number. You can send me a, give me a call, send me a text message, shoot me an email, a telegraph. I'm on Signal. I'm on WhatsApp. Find me somewhere. Send me a message and say, Sean, I need to know how to help people find Jesus. And I'd love to talk with you about how to do that. And then would you spend time praying that God would lead us as a church in these incredibly exciting days to see what his plan for reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth looks like through his church here. Would you ask God to give us wisdom about what to do and when and how and how to use our resources? Would you pray for other churches here in town that you know where Jesus is exalted? I mean, I've got friends at at Belmont. I've got friends at Blue Ridge. I've got friends at the Dwelling Place. Each of those churches looks at things very differently than we do. But I think at their core, they love Jesus. So would you ask that God would work not just through our local church, but through Good Shepherd, through Hope Valley, through Blue Ridge Church, 
Would you ask God to work through North Star in Blacksburg, through Valley Bible Church in Radford? Would you ask God to work and move in these ways for his name and his glory so that his kingdom would expand? And, and then if he chooses to do it through us, would you ask him to give us the wisdom to follow, the strength and the boldness to go out in his spirit and his power to honor him? Take a moment to pray and then I'll close us. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Ryan and Kelly Day who are winding their day down in Japan having spent the day with believers there who you've saved and you've called out. I thank you for Pastor Manyanga, for Pastor Godin who've both been preaching the gospel in Zimbabwe today. And for Pastor Titus, sharing the gospel in East Pakot in Kenya. God, I thank you that we're joining together with other believers here in Christiansburg, in Blacksburg, in Radford, in the New River Valley. And together we're lifting you up. Oh God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know a part of that is that we would be witnesses wherever we are. God, would you so radically transform our hearts to set us on fire for you? So that in our jobs, in our friendships, in our hobbies, in everything that we give you honor and glory. Would you work across the street through Pastor Michael? just like you're working around the world through Pastor Godin. God, would you do great things for your name? And as we look at the book of Acts and see how the early church processed and dealt with all of the things that they faced and were bold in declaring Christ to a world that had no idea who you were, we pray that we would look at that great cloud of witnesses and take courage and joy to run the race. So God, send us out this week for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.